After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Welcome to this week's edition of the Baseball America College podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is my colleague, Joe Healy. And today we are launching, starting I don't know, uh, <laughs> our, our series for, for the offseason, uh, what we're going to call our Clubhouse Conversation Series, where we bring on guests from around the college baseball world to uh, talk to us about their programs, their 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 teams looking back at last year, looking ahead to, to next year, and and uh, you know anything in between. Uh, today we're starting that series with Virginia Tech coach John Chef. So excited to hear from him about the Hokies, uh, both the the 2022 season when they won the ACC and made it to Super Regionals. Uh, and looking ahead to, to 2023, which looks uh, to be pretty promising as well. So we're gonna we're gonna do that here today on uh, on the Baseball America College podcast, and uh, that's something that we're gonna be doing throughout the off season. Now is talking to people from around the game. Uh, if you've been listening to us in previous off seasons, you know that we we like to bring on guests and and do that. Uh, so that is uh, we're, we're we're starting that up again here here this week and, and starting it with uh, with John Chef, but. We've got a lot uh, to discuss otherwise here on the on the podcast today. So hopefully it's a fun one. It's the middle of August. It's kind of a dead period in college baseball, but we're uh, we're we're gonna we're gonna make it a little more lively. Yeah, it's it's a uh, you know, candidly, it's also a nice. Um, it's certainly not a break because we have to. There's there's actually more logistics involved in these these podcasts because we have to schedule and make questions, you know, put up a, a question, make a questions document, share with each other, like, you know, go over the question. Like there's just, there, there are some, some logistics, but it, it is kind of nice to, you know, we're kind of reacting to a conversation as opposed to, you know, carrying the entirety of a conversation in an episode. And so now we could do that and we will do that for certain episodes this off season. And, and Lord knows we've had to kind of punt on ideas and, and just come up with something on the fly. We can do that, but having to do that every week becomes a pretty heavy lift. So uh, it is kind of nice with with this series to be able to just react to a conversation, talk about a specific team, um, and have that have that be the episode um, as opposed to as opposed to kind of going from from soup to nuts, as they would say, on a concept for, for a podcast. So it is it's not a break, but it's just a, a shift in in style that allows us to be a little bit more uh, laid back in terms of how we're we're you know bringing the conversation to the table. 
It also allows us to go a little bit deeper on whatever subject we're discussing. And usually that'll be an, an individual team here. Um, you know, we're not experts on, on all of these teams, you know, like we, 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 we follow everyone from afar and getting somebody within the program, a coach, be that a coach or a player to, uh, to tell us a little bit more. I mean, we're, we're learning and hopefully you're learning as well. And the, the goal with these, the, the programs that we, we choose for the, the series that this off season is to, to find more, not, not necessarily the, the very best programs, although I think hopefully those will all be covered as well, but just impactful programs as we look to 2023, interesting programs as we look to 2023. And I think that makes Virginia Tech uh, you know, a great one to start with because Virginia Tech is is a program that made a big leap forward in 2022. You know, they they did a lot of things that the program hadn't either done ever or hadn't done in a long time. And, you know, just starting by making the NCAA tournament for the first time since 2013, let alone, you know, hosting and hosting a super regional and, and winning the ACC and all the rest of that. Um, and now like looking to, they're, they're looking to build on that momentum and, and everything. And I, I, I think they are one of the more uh, interesting teams in, in a very interesting ACC as we look to 2023. So a lot to get into there. Um, I will say that while Joe and I have compiled a, uh, an early list of, of programs that we're hoping to, to feature over the course of the fall and into the early winter, um, we, uh, we, we still would welcome any suggestions or requests. So if you, if you have those, feel free to, uh, to reach out and let us know who you might want to hear from uh, throughout the course of this off season as we, uh, as we dive deeper into these. Um, and, you know, right now, we're, we're still kind of at a period of time where it's easier to look back at 2022 than to look at 2023. Players are still finishing up summer ball in some cases. Um, as we record this, the Cape could finish tonight. It might get pushed one more day, but like this weekend's kind of it for, for that. Um, for, for a lot of leagues around the country. But the point is that the players aren't back on campus yet. So it's, it's still a little early to start looking at 2023. Uh, but as we get deeper into the fall, that's what these things will become more and more about is, you know, fall ball starts happening and, and fall games. And, and there's just more information to know about the, the, the coming season. Um, so looking forward to kind of the evolution of these as, as well as we go through the, uh, through the off season. Yeah, it does. Um, the, the nature of the conversation does shift a little bit as, as time goes on. They start, they get a little more maybe serious isn't the right word um, because the tone can still be pretty lighthearted. Coaches tend to be or, or even players for that matter, tend to be kind of a little more uh, relaxed in the fall. I mean, the, the stakes obviously aren't as high. Um, so there, there are a lot of reasons for that. But but it's but as time, I guess what I'm saying, though, is time, as time goes on, the the, the the questions and the conversations get a little more pointed. Um, whereas now we are kind of just doing a lot of, as you will hear in our interview with, with John chef, it, the questions tend to be a little more just reflecting on things and big picture and, you know, just kind of some like ethereal stuff as opposed to really bearing down on position groups or position battles, things of things of that nature. And there will be, there will be time for that. We will do that. But, but yeah, now is, I mean, even even as we get advanced into the fall, there's a little bit of a throwing darts at a dartboard feeling about trying to nail down position groups. But certainly in August, that would be uh, that would definitely be the case. So um, 
yeah, I look forward to the, the shifting tenor of those conversations because I, I, I certainly like fall ball more than you do. Um, I understand the limitations of fall ball, but it is kind of nice. I, I think you would even uh, agree to the idea that just being able to have like a more serious conversation about the roster once fall ball gets underway, understanding that we can only take it so seriously being fall ball. Um, but it, it is kind of a nice change of pace once we get there. Have you ever genuinely played darts? Yes. Um, I mean, I went to college in, in Texas, there was many a dartboard in those, uh, in those bars. Um, I, I played it not well, I would say. Um, but, um, but, I, but I did, I did play it. Yes. I've never like, I mean, I've thrown darts at a dartboard, but not like in a serious manner. I don't think I've ever had like a real game of darts. Yeah. Um, I have a friend, I had a friend who, uh, uh, you know, fighting Texas Aggie class of 2010 whoop, um, who was a very good, like kind of just, I mean, he wasn't like in leagues, although he might've been like, he might've been in a league, but it was like a very good, just kind of like the way you'd say, uh, somebody's a scratch golfer. Um, he was like a scratch dart thrower. I don't know what the, <laughs> fra- what the phrase is, but just a very, very good dart thrower. Like, you know, was, was, um, you know, all because the, there's several different versions of a uh, showing my ignorance here, but there's several different versions of the game darts you can play based on the scoring and all that kind of stuff. And like he could, he could do it all. Like you know, he could he could triple bullseye a thing, or he could you know hit the outer rings just on command. Um, he could even he'd do some trick shots where he'd like he'd like uh he'd crouch down like a center, like like hiking a football. And would just kind of hike the dark between his legs at the board, like, and he could do stuff like that. So it was it was pretty impressive. Um, but yeah, I've 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 played some never against him. Well, I did play against him, but we were never playing seriously because that would not have been a fair fight. But I've played darts, just not this, uh, not not on any sort of uh, real serious level. Interesting, interesting game, as uh, as you say, many different varieties, kind of like billiards, I guess, and a big deal overseas. Like they've, I, I've seen what what is now called Bally Sports, um, what used to be Fox Sports, you know, Fox Sports Midwest, Fox Sports, you know, Florida, Fox Sports Houston, all this kind of stuff, um, would periodically show darts on TV and might still for that matter. But like the World Series of darts over the, across the pond in the UK is, is a very big deal. And it's kind of a rowdy, like people like going to it because it is like a rowdy atmosphere, which is kind of funny because it, it feels so... Um, it doesn't feel like the right kind of thing for a rowdy crowd, like darts, you know, kind of like bowling being a rowdy crowd doesn't feel like it fits, but for, for darts in the UK, it does very, very serious about their darts over there. The uh, ESPN just did ESPN Ocho with, and mm. uh, our, our friend Ryan McGee was hosting part of that. And I guess darts is too serious for, for ESPN Ocho, but that's right. It's too mainstream. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Um, before we, uh, before we get into our interview here with John chef, uh, just a couple of news items from around college baseball. One happened last week. Uh, we didn't get to it on the podcast, but Campbell, uh, is headed from the big South to the colonial that will happen next, next summer. So, uh, the camels are still in the big South. For 2023, but Joe, the CAA is becoming a pretty interesting baseball conference. And look, I don't know what this is going to amount to in um, 
a world where the SEC has 16 teams, uh, it's kind of hard to know, like, okay, so what does that mean? How, how many of these bids, like, like how many of these conferences can like be regular multi-bid leagues? But the CAA is going to have Campbell, Charleston, Northeastern, Stony Brook, and UNCW. Um, I mean, all of those programs have shown pretty significant upside on the baseball field. So I'm, uh, I obviously not all of them have hit all of the, the heights, you know, Stony Brook went to Omaha and hasn't really been back at that level. They've been very good in the America East, but what is that going to look like? And the CAA knows, and, uh, you know, UNC Wilmington is, has been very good consistently, but hasn't won a regional yet. I mean, so everyone's kind of at a different level in terms of like how far they've pushed it, but all of those programs are, I, there, there will be interesting baseball play in that league. I, I can promise you that at least. Yeah, I think that's right. And it's a great point you bring up about what, how we're going to define these mid and low major league. Well, I guess low major will always just be single mid leagues, but how we're going to define these mid major leagues moving forward. Because you're right, we, we kind of just, we use the term two bid league, right? And like, it's there's a certain subset of leagues that we kind of define as as two bid leagues. Like there are leagues that are better than that. Like we actually probably think of the American as better than just a two bid league, even though that has not been the case the last couple of years. But two bid leagues tend to be leagues like the Colonial, where we say like you know, and they're a two bid league in their good years, and that has largely been the case. But yeah, it's it's a great it's a great point you bring up because I hadn't really considered in a world where just inevitably the SEC and and perhaps now the Big Ten right is going to um, grab a couple of extra bids maybe. Um, well, and also the Sun Belt, like is kind of difficult to grapple with because we've talked about yeah. what that ceiling could be, but like, right. I don't, I don't know. Like that's a league that's been a two bid league before. Like, is it now more than that? Probably, but like how much more? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So that will be interesting is like, how, how often do we expect a league like the colonial, which is like sometimes two bids, sometimes not, there's really no, from year to year, you're not sure exactly what you're going to get in that regard. Like, how do we, you know, how do we define that? What are our expectations? That's a, that's an interesting conversation for down the road, but just on paper. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a, a really good baseball league. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I selfishly, I, I enjoy that because, you know, some of those leagues or some of those teams are convenient to me living, <laughs> living here, convenient to you, frankly, living where you do. So, um, yeah, I'm look. I'm looking forward to it. And for Campbell, I think it's. A, I mean, yes, that the Big South has been a multi bid league. It was, you know, when when Presbyterian won the tournament a couple of years ago, and um, so there 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 is that. Um, I I don't know if it ever was when Coastal was running that league or, or not, but it it was uh, every once in a while. But it yeah, it definitely hasn't been at that lately, especially since Coastal left. It's been two bids if somebody pulls an upset in the conference tournament. Right. And so, yeah, I guess using the, the previous metric, we would not define the big South as like a two bit league typically. Um, so it certainly is an upgrade for Campbell. I think it's um, buys them a little bit of, because look, Campbell has proved proven that a, a big South schedule supplemented by really quality midweek competition. And they have access to a lot of it in the Carolinas by playing, you know, they play all the biggest names in the Carolinas um, can be enough to get you an at-large bid. Being in the CAA, at least on paper, should buy them a little bit more room for error. Not a ton, right? They're not moving to the Sun Belt or the SEC, obviously, but it does buy them some more room for error. So as long as they continue to 
a win at a similar clip to what they were in the Big South. I don't I do think it sets them up uh for being a, a postseason at large quality team more often than they were as a member of the Big South. I think that's for sure. So that'll be something to watch, uh, minor realignment story, but in baseball, maybe a little bit bigger than it is in uh really any of the other sports, frankly. The other piece of news was yesterday, Southern Miss announced that former coach Corky Palmer passed away. He was 68. He was the coach of Southern Miss in 2009 when the Golden Eagles reached the College World Series for the first and so far only time in program history. He also took Meridian Mississippi Junior College uh, to three Junior College World Series. Um, just a, a really, really big figure in, um, in college baseball in, in the state of Mississippi, um, a, a part of, you know, Southern Miss has had a, has been a proud program for a long time, but, but he is, he is a big figure within Southern Miss baseball history. Yeah. I mean, there's basically in the modern era, I mean, you go back, I'm trying to pull up the years here because I want to, I want to be correct about this, but I mean, basically, yeah, you go back to, to the mid eighties. 1984 when Hill Denson takes over. I mean, those guys, Hill Denson, Corky Palmer, now Scott Barry are really the three guys that have, have kept Southern Miss at this level, brought Southern Miss to this level and kept them at this level in kind of the, the, the modern era. And that's what we know is uh, that's how Southern Miss got to be what we know them as being one of the best non-power conference college baseball programs out there. And I think, Corky Palmer has as much of that with any as as anybody, right? Like Hildenson kind of lays the lays the groundwork here, you know, gets the the program to um, you know, it's its first division one in Sibley tournament appearance. Um, you know, kind of lays a foundation there. And then Corky Palmer takes it to the next level in that crowning achievement, of course, getting to the College World Series in, in 2009, um, going through Florida to do so, if I remember correctly. Um he kind of lays, he kind of really takes it to the next level and, and shows that, hey, Southern Miss can be a nationally, not just a regionally, but a nationally relevant program. And now, although Scott Barry has not led the Golden Eagles like back to Omaha, for example, just the consistency with which Southern Miss is a top flight program, Southern Miss has, has now hosted regionals uh, more often than it ever has under Scott Barry. So you can make an argument, even though he has not gotten the team back to Omaha, that he has raised the level again of kind of the, the expectations for Southern Miss baseball. And of, of course now Scott Barry is now the, the winningest coach uh, both by total wins and by percentage in Southern Miss baseball history. So um, it, it feels like of the, of those three guys, Corky Palmer might, it might be the most consequential just because he was the one that really established a nationally relevant standard for Southern Miss baseball. And I, you know, he was out of the game um, by the time I was covering it. So I've never I've never met him. I've never spoken with him, but he he's he's spoken of highly by a lot of people whose whose opinions I value and, and trust. And so he was um, a character in college baseball. And college baseball is a sport that does a really good job of producing and 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 um, celebrating characters in our sport. And, and and from from my understanding, he was he was certainly one. So a great coach and and you know an interesting guy to have in our sport. And so um, you know certainly. Uh, well wishes are, are with his family and uh, rest in peace to a, a, a unique uh, character in our sport and, and an icon and, and one of the architects of, of one of the, the most fun, interesting uh, college baseball programs out there, because there are a lot of reasons why Southern Miss should not be what it is in college baseball. And 
he's a big part of why they are what they are when, when, like I said, they, they probably in a lot of ways should not be. Very well said. Um, so again, uh, as, as Joe said, well wishes to, uh, to his family and to the Southern Miss baseball family and the extended college baseball family in Mississippi. He was a, uh, a very revered figure in, uh, in, in many places down in that part of the country. Uh, all right. We are going to uh, get to our interview here with John Chef uh, in just a second. Uh, our first guest in the, uh, in the Clubhouse Conversation Series here on the Baseball America College Podcast, and we'll have him here just in a second. But first, check this out. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Today on the Baseball America College podcast, we are happy to be joined by Virginia Tech coach John Sheff. Virginia Tech, of course, coming off of an impressive season. They won 45 games, reached Super Regionals, and uh, won the ACC. So, Coach, uh, obviously it was a great 2022 season, and we're we're looking forward to getting into that uh, with you today and starting to look ahead to uh, to next season already as well. Sure, absolutely. All right. So now that you've gotten a little bit of uh, of time to reflect on on the way the season went this spring, uh, just what do you what do you make of the year, and, and how do you um, you know just w- what are your reflections on twenty twenty two? Well, I mean, an awful lot of time went into um, that year, not just by our coaching staff, but the the players on that team. I was a really uh, kind of a special group of guys. Um, as I go back a year ago, uh, post major league draft, uh, we got hit with some surprises in that draft that when we came out of that draft, we didn't, 
you know, we didn't feel uh, really good about it. You know what I mean? Uh, you, you never want to have surprises in the draft if you can avoid them. And we had some uh, more on the pitching side than anything else. Um, and uh, so we, we kind of started to adopt maybe a um, a plan of how we we're going to go about it, you know, from a pitching perspective. And um, we had talked about, you know, talked about it for a while as far as not putting a lot of pressure on first-time starters in the ACC, you know, having to maybe have them go in shorter stints. And so we kind of went into the fall that way, and, and it was post-COVID, at, you know, at that time. So we were able to do more things, events off the field with the group and try to bring the group back together as opposed to during COVID, you're trying to drive everybody apart. And, um, you know, I think a lot of the team stuff, the team event, away from baseball stuff helped bring the group together it was it ended up being a really talented group um it was kind of most known probably for its um its offensive prowess but what really ended up happening actually was our team pitched very very well uh probably better than what we had anticipated at this time last year you know we, we didn't have anybody coming back that had a lot of acc starting experience and guys like griffin green and Drew Hackenberg, a true freshman who didn't pitch last fall because he was a little tender coming off of his high school season. And, you know, he had some grad transfer guys, a guy like Jordan Geber, um, step in and, and, and really serve some roles for us. Our bullpen was very good. We had a healthy Henry Weicker. Um, <clears throat> and a guy like um, Kiernan Higgins developed as the season went on as a grad transfer. You know, he had walked. 54 guys at the division two level the year before. And, uh, you know, those numbers were kind of really skewed against them going into last year. And, 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 you know, he ended up leading our team in, in saves and had a one nine ERA. And, you know, there was just a lot of guys that really elevated their games. And, um, I think that and it was a very tight knit team. And, um, and the last thing was that we had, the majority of our good players were available for the majority of the season. We knock on wood. We did not run into major injuries last year going down the stretch. And I think that helped us win dramatically helped us, helped us win nine consecutive weekends in the ACC. And that's something that I will never uh, underestimate or, or no one can ever take that away from that group that they won nine consecutive weekends in the ACC. A feat that probably, as I look back on it now, which you asked me to look back on it, I don't know that you'll really see that. I'd like to see the research on that with how many teams have won that many consecutive weekends in any Power 5 league as of recent. And uh, so I give our guys a lot of credit, coaching staff, a ton of credit, and our players, and, um, you know, for their accomplishments. And a lot of guys have gotten awarded pretty dramatically for it. and. Um, but, you know, you move on to the next year, and that's what college sports is. You uh, you have to recreate it, and you have to remake the puzzle and do it with a different group of guys, and the best uh, programs are able to do that, and that's that's our goal, and that's what we aim to do. Long answer there. <laughs> no worries. I, Coach just gave us a little more uh, homework there. I uh, got to go take a look at that now and see how many ACC teams can, can say that. Cause I think your hunch coach is right. That, that, that number is, 
incredibly small, if if not non-existence. That'll that'll be interesting. You you mentioned I, I haven't seen the research on that, but I'd really like to see it because yeah, we'll see what we can I, do. I'd really like to see how many like like what teams um, rivaled that. That's a very very uh, large number, and I think any coach would tell you that. And and I would have never bet. A, I'd have probably bet a lot of money because sooner or later, to you know, it's just the ball. It's going to take a bad hop. Like it's going to go against you. You know, it just is. Especially in a league like this, where the teams are so good and the programs are so good, and it just it's hard to explain. I mean, uh, we had a lot of really good players, but any, I'm sorry, I'm going on a tangent here. That, that was just a very, uh, very significant number for me. Yeah, personally. no doubt. You mentioned the cumulative work that this group of guys, group of players had put in through the years. It had to be gratifying in light of that to see it at the end of the season, in addition to the on-field success, guys like Gavin Cross, Tanner Schobel coming off the board early in the in the draft, getting professional opportunities, in addition to a bunch of guys you had get that yeah. opportunity at the end of the season. How gratifying is that for, for you and your coaching staff to see that work pay off both team-wise and individually? Well, I, I mean, it's, it's, it is gratifying. There's no doubt about it. I'm, I'm really happy for those guys. You know those guys and the other guys that were picked, and and but honestly, like you know, the draft is a very um, unexact science. You don't really know how it's going to go, you know. And I mean, if Gavin Cross ends up being the twentieth pick in the draft as opposed to the ninth, does it make him any less of a player? I don't think so. But you know, I, I'm looking at that draft on that Sunday, and, and Rocker goes in the top three, and then all of a sudden. Um, Kate Horton, the kid we faced from Oklahoma, goes seven. And I don't think people are anticipating that. I'm saying, well, is that going to knock Gavin back? You know, but I mean, it, again, if he's picked 20, is, is he a worse player? No, he's not a worse player. It's just the way that draft went. You know, um, you see all these guys signing as free agents now. And uh, I'm sure some of our guys look at that and be like, wow, these guys are hundreds of guys are signing as free agents. I, I probably could have done that too. Does it make him a less of a player? No. It's just the way professional baseball sees it at the time. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's gratifying per individually, yes, no doubt about it. But I, I, I take a lot of uh solace and and really um the gratification for me more is what that group did together against really good teams um, to get to where they got to. And typically when teams are that successful and they do really well, uh, you will have, um, you know, a lot of people want, a lot of the pro people want a, want a piece of them, you know, and that's what happened. I'm surprised, a little bit surprised it didn't happen with more guys, to be quite honest. Uh, but, you know, that's one of the beauties about baseball. People see the game differently. They look at the same game and they see it several different ways. And, um, but yeah, our guys, uh, they, they really had, uh, they, it was a very successful draft for Virginia Tech baseball in general. And, uh, but this year we didn't really have any surprises thrown at us. Uh, any negative surprise? The draft went exactly the way we figured it would for the most part. And um, we were prepared for it, and we feel really good about where we are right now. Anybody who, like me, was at the the regional or the next weekend in the super regional, uh, you know, I think anybody who was there would have been struck like I was about the the level of fan support and just um, how incredible those atmospheres were, and 
and how ready that fan base was to support a team that was as good as the one you guys had last season. When you arrived at Virginia Tech, to, to what degree did you kind of understand that that was something that was was possible, or were you even a little bit maybe surprised by certain aspects of the support you received? Well, I think anything's possible, but uh, I think it, it shows how much our fan base enjoys watching winning athletics. If you go to a lot of the other sports that we have, many of them, you, you know, the people they turn out, they, they, they enjoy watching winning athletics. Um, you know, I think our ballpark, you know, I give our administration a lot of credit. It's a nice venue to watch a baseball game. Um, we had got really good weather. Um, we played in the evening. So it was, you know, I mean, you got concessions, you got good views. Um, and I, you know, and I think they appreciated good teams coming in there and it was good competition. And, but, you know, to, to their core now, they want to win. Like they they expect to win. And that's, I, I, I love that. Like, to me, that's a great challenge to put a great product on the field for our people because our people, you know, they like competition, but to, to, again, you know, they want, they, they expect to win and you can see that across all our sports. So, uh, as does everyone associated with our program. Like it's nice, it's nice and everything. The venue's great. You know, the competition's great. But at the end of it, you know, we expect to walk away on top of things, on the on the top side, not the bottom. And that'll never change. But but I think this group set a really high standard, and I think our people appreciated it. And I think they came out and they supported it. They supported softball too. And we had four straight weekends on our campus that we had a, a regional or a super regional going on between us and softball. So it was really, really good time for the, for the Hokie fans in general to see um, good softball, good baseball, um, and come support athletics. Because typically, I mean, you know, you're going to see 75,000 in that football stadium next month, and then they support Mike and basketball and Kenny and basketball and, and the other sports as well, uh, you know, Roby and wrestling and, and uh, you know, all of them in general. And they should. That's, that's the best the best athletic year I think in Virginia tech history, as far as that many teams going against the NCAA tournament and football going to a bowl game and everything else. But um, yeah, I, it was, it was not where, where it really got me honestly. And a lot of our players have mentioned this. You go off, you got to take batting practice and there's, you know, there's 500 people are watching batting practice. Like, and I've, I've been, uh, Oh man, 12 NCAA regionals and stuff, you know, in the past. And typically you don't see that many people there in a pregame. <laughs> so that was that was a pretty cool deal having people there that early and um and you know i think it put a lot of it told our guys hey these people you know they they enjoy coming and watching but but they want to keep coming back so we gotta we gotta we gotta press forward and, and have have good results here you know so i i think it must have helped because the team was such a fun team to watch there were all those home runs and, and the team seemed to have a lot of fun with that and of course there was the yeah. hammer as yeah. well that people got into yeah. uh, that now i guess has to go away uh or at least it be changed what is what is the future of that have have you guys thought through that and um i mean just the the rule change what what do you think about all of that well I, yeah it was a fun team i mean uh, everybody most fans enjoy watching a lot of offense Offense is fun to watch. I think, um, I think if you sat the core baseball fan down and said, 
offense is fun to watch. I like watching offense too, especially when one on the offensive side of it. But like the 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 four to three baseball game, the three to two baseball game that's filled with some offense and some pitching and defense and some strategy and pitching moves, pitching changes. I was those games are fun to watch too. And I think it was a mix of that in the in the postseason. We had some high scoring games and we had some low scoring strategic games. And uh, so I think the whole thing was fun. As far as the whole uh, prop thing goes, you know, like, I'm not really going to get into that a whole like, I mean, I, I, to me, um, to me, we spent so much of our time in the offseason just trying to get this group in a good place for next year. I really haven't given that a whole lot of thought. Uh, last year in the Super Regional, when you know, we got the uh, the order from uh, from above or whatever. I got to be careful how we say this here. You know, our, our guys started using the air hammer, and that was Carson Martini's idea, and God bless him. It was a hell of a good idea. I would imagine we'll come up with something like it. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to allow the, the people that are making those decisions to take my focus off what my job is, and that's to put the best group on the field. and. We'll, we'll, we'll find a way to celebrate the offense like we have in the past, whether it's in the dugout or whether it's with an air hammer or whatever it is, it, it'll work itself out. I'm not, that's uh if that's our biggest problem we had this year, we'll be just fine. <laughs> so. Hey, it's probably a good way to put it coach. We'll, uh, yeah. we'll, we'll, yeah. uh, we'll just for, for Teddy, we'll just say it for Teddy in, in my opinion that uh, college baseball is a fun game. Let the kids have some fun with stuff like that. And that's, that is Joe and Teddy's opinion, not that of John Chef. He's no, <laughs> that is me it, and Teddy's it is, No, but you're right. College <laughs> athletics in general is that way. I mean, you got the Miami, I, I go back and got the Miami turnover chain, you know, like, I mean, that's an example in a different sport. I mean, people come out to the ballpark to watch. They come out for the entertainment part of it. They come out. I mean, we have little kids swinging the air, swinging the uh, foam hammers. You know, we we'll go out and recruit. I was recruiting in Georgia, um, and there was a couple of Virginia teams in Georgia playing on an adjacent field. That they were younger kids. They were like twelve year old kids playing next to a field where there were um, high school age kids and kids that hit the home run and they got a friggin' hammer in the dugout. You know. And I said, man, would you look at that, you know? I mean, there's nothing wrong. I mean, it's just – it's not like professional baseball. I, I get pro baseball, you know. A pitcher takes care of the hitters, and you got to – you know, you have hit batsmen, and I get that whole thing. But it's just – it's different, you know. I, I don't think there's, like, a malicious thing about it. It's, uh, you know, if we're in Tennessee and they hit a home run, they put a, a fur coat on, I mean – I get it. I mean, that's, you know, that's what they do. That's, that's part of their identity. There's nothing wrong with that, but other people don't see it that way. So anyway, <laughs> no, I, th- I think that, no, I think that's well said on your part. Um, yeah. Let's yeah. spin it forward a little bit and start talking about looking ahead to next season is as we, you know, don't look now, but you know, the fall is, is basically officially here. Um, sure. Absolutely. Really, really broad, really broad question. You know, you, you the success that, uh, your team had last season. How are you looking to, um, however you define building on that? Um, how do you build on that in, in this next season? Uh, what are the kind of things you're looking for as you head into the fall? Well, probably two things. Number one, with the returning guys we have, I think we have a lot of really good returning players off that team. Um, they were on the group from last year, which established a very high standard for, um, 
for for the program and so it'll be really a lot of our success will come from how those players uh monitor that standard and and um enforce that standard amongst themselves amongst the new players that's number one and then number two it all comes back to having good players it really does you know and i, I think we we have a good group coming back and a very good group coming in um we have a lot more experience on the mound than we had last year as far as acc starting and or bullpen experience we, we didn't have a whole lot of that last year coming back and i give those guys a ton of credit for the success rate that they had with the lack of experience that they went into it with but now you have a lot of really really good pitchers coming back and and some nice players coming in that have acc experience um and then obviously on the offensive side you know you have the hurleys and the demartinis and carson jones um among others, you know, Malinowski, some people coming back that are older players that have experience that uh, should, again, maintain the standard that was set last year. And that's kind of how you grow as a program, as you, you know, a standard has been set. And, and then it's, it's, it's up to the returning players to maintain that standard. So really, it's a, it's a, it's a matter of do you have good enough players to maintain the level? I think the answer to that question is yes. Is it, hard, is it going to be really, really difficult to replace a Gavin Cross or a Tanner Schobel or some of the other guys? Absolutely. Like, I, I mean, I've been coaching since 1990, you know, for 32 years. And I'll be honest with you, I haven't had a first round. I've had a couple second rounds, but not a first round. So is it really hard to replace that guy? Yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't say no to that. You know, Schobel was maybe the best combination of offense and defense at that particular position that I've had over that many years you know I, you just don't replace guys like that they're just they're, those guys are like unicorns you know but what happened the way you do replace them is with 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 good players in a mix like you're not gonna have one player replace gavin cross or Schobel. you you might have one player at shortstop playing defense um at the rate Schobel did but but you're gonna have a group of players producing the offense that those guys did you know um and we'll be i think we have enough we'll we'll, we'll be okay like we, we feel really good about where we are i mean uh but it, it will be quite a challenge replacing some of the guys that we lost but when you go to game three of a super regional and you win 45 games then that's probably the position that you should be in you know i asked skip johnson he just lost a ton of guys off that oklahoma team but he also just almost won a national championship too. So I, I imagine he feels probably pretty good about that also. Um, so it's, it's a little bit of give and take, but um, you got to keep things in perspective, I think. Virginia Tech has had some success in its history, but it hasn't had a whole lot of sustained success. You have been able yep. to sustain success at places that are yep. maybe, you know, Marist went to three straight regionals with you. Yep. You took yeah. Maryland to back-to-back -back supers. Is there yeah. a secret to that that you can apply, or is that just something that you have to, you know, as you build a program, you have to build in the consistency as well? Well, you can't rest on it. Like, you can't rest on the success. Like, you can enjoy it, which I do, and, and 
I take a lot of, of, of uh, as you, from time to time, you sit down and actually take a breath and look back and say, man, that was, that was pretty good, you know? But you can't rest on it. Um, you have to continue to, um, you got to continue to build on it. You have to continue to push the people that, um, that you work, <clears throat> that are around you. And I don't, I don't, I don't really have to feel like I have to push our coaching staff because our guys, they push me. I mean, our guys are, those guys are, our guys are aggressive, and I think that has a, a great reason for our success rate. But like, we'll have to keep pushing the envelope with the people that are around us because it's not just our coaching staff; it's our support staff, and it's everyone that surrounds the program. Uh, and I think any coach would, in any sport would tell you that. You have to enjoy the success, uh, but you can't rest on it. You have to keep pushing the envelope forward, and that's exactly what we're doing. Uh, and um, that's the challenge, again, of college athletics. It's that as, as I sit here years later at, uh, from starting in this profession a long time ago, but I, I, it still really pumps me up to – to put the team together, put the bodies together, put the talent together. And then when they get here, now it's a whole different challenge. Now you have to put the group together, build the culture, hold the standard, um, and, and, and live up to the standard that the group last year set. That group set a humongously high standard, very high standard. I told those guys at the end of the year, I said, you know, you're going to be standing there in a gas station filling your car up, and someone's going to come up to you and say, hey, you, you know, you're wearing Virginia Tech stuff, blah, 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 and, and they're going to ask you. And all of a sudden, you're going to find yourself standing there talking to people and telling them the story of the 22 spring. And you're not even going to know who you're talking to, but, but they're going to want to know. They're going to want to know the story. And I've found myself many times telling it, but you know, to people I don't know, and I can imagine during the summer our guys have done the same thing. But now at some point our players are going to have to get past it and then move on. And now they're going to have to maintain the standard. And they're not going to be able to rest on it, just like our coaching staff can't rest on it. Uh, because there's probably – there's more out there. Like, there's, there's, a, there's a higher level. And I'm not saying a higher level of wins or Omaha. I'm not, that's not my point. But I think there's just as much of a challenge to maintain the consistent success as it is. That's harder than actually getting there in the first place. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not measuring it by, okay, you're going to get the game through the Super Easy. You're going to get the Omaha. Like, I don't know what the end product is. I can't say. But I can say that I've always looked at it from if you get your team in the NCAA tournament, that's a good that's a good place to be. Now let's see where let me see and let's see how much success, how deep we can go into it from there. But you got to get there first. And now it's really hard to get there, as you guys know. I mean, look at all the teams that are on the outside looking in this year. I mean, look at NC State. Let's just talk. I mean, think about that for a second. I mean, are you kidding me? You know, I mean, I love Mike Bianco is a friend of mine. He's, he's, I've known Mike for a long time, for over 20 years. And that guy supposedly was one of the last teams in. You know, and they go win the whole thing. They obviously had good enough players for sure. And he did a hell of a job with them. But, 
it's hard to get in. It's hard to get into that 64. Like if you're on that, if you're on, on the, on the fence there, you know, but that's, that's kind of, that's like, that's my standard is get your team in and then let's go from there and let's see how much success we can have from there. You know? Um, and that's kind of, that's what I measure. I've measured it by that for many years as far as the NCAA tournament. And then let's go from there and let's see how, how deep we can get into it. So we will, we will wrap up at Teddy and I, with all of our guests, uh, we like to have a little fun with our last question as we get you out of here. Um, we like to ask our guests to describe their favorite sandwich. And so I will filibuster here for a second to, to give you coach chef a time to time to think about it a little bit, but some coaches answer with a sandwich they make at home, a sandwich they just make all the time, or they make in the coach's office or the, the locker room, all that kind of stuff. Or maybe it's a sandwich from a local place or a sandwich they grew up eating that their mom makes. Actually, you mentioned Coach Bianco, and he gave us the answer of his mom's Italian sandwiches from when he was a kid. So yeah, um, you can man. take it any, any direction you like. Um, but Coach, uh, Coach Chef, please describe your favorite sandwich. Well, I actually had it a couple weeks ago. I was down in Fort Myers with my my son. We were uh, we had a couple hours to kill, so we went to went to Fort Myers Beach after a team had lost. And it's uh, it's like a it's a grilled mahi sandwich with tartar sauce. Like it's a, a I mean everybody knows a mahi is white fish, but if you grill it just right, put some tartar sauce and lemon on it. That thing will just sing to you while you're eating it. <laughs> <laughs> it'll, no. it'll, sing, it'll sing to me, I can tell you that. <laughs> unfortunately, I, unfortunately, I don't have it that much, and I can't yeah. make it in the office. But if you said to me, what sandwich would you want? I'd have a grilled mahi sandwich on sourdough bread with some lemon and some tartar sauce. And I'd be, <laughs> I'd be good for about a week after that. <laughs> <laughs> that that sounds about right though. You can't uh sandwich like that. You can't overdo the condiments and stuff. You got to go pretty simple no. with the lemon, the tartar sauce. You got to let the fish really really do the work. Nah. Yeah, uh, that's that's well said, right? There. I can't uh, say it any better. <laughs> that's 100% right. <laughs> that is uh that that's a great a great pick and we yes. uh now now I we're going to have to we're going to have to find some fish sandwiches cuz uh that's uh <laughs> That's uh, we're recording this around dinner time for the listeners, and we're, uh, oh, yeah. we're all ready for that now. Thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Coach Chef, we really appreciate you taking the time uh, to join yeah, us here absolutely. today on the Baseball America College Podcast. Uh, there was a lot of fun watching that team this year, and I think we're going to have a lot of fun watching them again in 2023. So, uh, February feels like a really long way away, but when it does get here, we'll uh, we'll, yeah. we'll be really excited to to see the Hokies out there on the diamond. Uh, thanks for having me on. I appreciate the, the work you guys do and, and, and the attention to our program that you give it. And uh, we will continue to work to uphold the standards so you guys pay attention so that we're so that we're worth paying attention to. Let me put it that way. So, Thank you again to John Chef for joining us here on the Baseball America College podcast. Uh, Joe, Virginia Tech, like I, I I do just feel like there's an emphasis on just how fun that team was this year uh, to watch. They, I mean, they, they just clearly, so the offense was, was a big part of it. I guess they hit a bunch of home runs. They scored a bunch of runs uh, that wasn't unique to, to them this year in college baseball. It was obviously a very high scoring environment this year, but they just always seemed like they were having fun doing it. Some of it is that the hammer was like, 
the team got so into it. And, you know, that's not to say other teams with other props didn't get into theirs and they weren't fun. Like obviously Tennessee had fun with theirs, but not everyone was so into the, like they didn't all have such a fun time with it. Virginia Tech did their games. I mean, we've talked about this on the podcast before, like the games where they packed it in there and it happened somewhat sporadically. It wasn't like they had big crowds every day, but like there were a lot of students there. You could tell when you're watching them on TV and they were really into it. It was just a, it was a fun team to watch. And uh, I, I enjoyed the Virginia Tech arc this year of this team that, I mean, you can rewind it back to 21. They get off to such an amazing start. Uh, they upset Miami, as I recall, in Coral Gables to start ACC play. And it was so early in the season because of how the ACC went about the 2021 season. Uh, and they were really good for the first half. And then they faded down the stretch and missed the tournament. And therefore, there weren't expectations on them going into 22. But they yeah, they rolled. They, they, they got beat that first weekend in ACC play at Georgia Tech. Um, but after that, they, like, like Coach Chef said, they didn't lose another ACC series the rest of the year. It was, it was remarkable. And uh, just seeing that build week after week was, uh, was really impressive. And it was, like I said, it was, it was just a, a great team to, to be able to, to watch. Yeah. There was a, a point really kind of at the business end of the season where, you know, you and I start to have to think about where we might go for regionals. And cause we, you know, we don't have necessarily the benefit of just waiting until the field is announced to start making plans, especially when some of these regionals happen in small towns where there are only so many hotels, et cetera, et cetera. Blacksburg. Nope. And there, yeah, <laughs> while we're on the topic. Yeah. <laughs> um, beautiful, beautiful, but you know, not a lot of, not a lot of hotel, uh, uh, uh what's the uh, options options. Thank you. Like I, my brain just completely stopped working there. Um, but at some point, kind of the business end of the season, we started to look around and go like, hi, you know, you, you're up in the, just so listeners, you're up in the DC area. So it was like, Maryland was kind of looking like it might be a thing. Ultimately it was, you know, maybe Virginia at some point. And then for, for me down here in, in the triangle, it was like, this is before Carolina goes on its run, mind you. Like we didn't know that Carolina was going to be bad. But I was thinking like I might just have to end up going back to Knoxville, which is like a pretty significant drive. And that would have been fun. And it turns out that regional was was pretty fun. Georgia Tech gave them gave Tennessee at least a, a good game there in the regional final. Um, but then Virginia Tech kind of comes on strong. And so it goes from not thinking, you know, not really, you know, thinking like ah, I might really have to hit the road for regionals to like, OK, Virginia Tech's an option that might happen to by the end of it. It was like so that's an option for regionals and supers if I need it, <laughs> you know, like it became very clear, you know, late, late in the game that they, that, so they went because of that run late in the season that we, that we alluded to there, like they went from being kind of off the board to being, you know, a regional possible regional host to a lock regional host to a top eight, just with an impressive finish to the season. And, and you're right that they were well supported there. And I think there are a couple things there. One is that you're right to say that it wasn't always consistent during the season, but there's kind of a, there's a, a learning curve to this kind of stuff. Like they're not a fan base that's really conditioned to going to baseball games in April and May because their, their teams haven't historically been very good at that time of year or relevant at that time of year. And the facility is, is relatively new, right? So for a long time, they didn't have the, 
the the nice facility they have now to to watch their team. So that was a factor. And so there, there's kind of a learning curve here. But this that type of season, the 2022 season, is how you start to build that, right? So you kind of lay a little more foundation. There's a bunch of students that went out to games this year that probably had a lot of fun. And so they come back to campus and they're going to want to go again next year. And then, you know, they bring friends of theirs who, you know, then will pass that on. And, and of course the, the, the local community catches on. And, and so, um, but those were, those were great atmospheres. Now they don't have, um, you know, the sheer number of people as, as a lot of places, but those fans are really, really into it. It's a great place to watch a game. And I think, you might have flipped on some of their games in the regional or even in the super against Oklahoma. And you might not have heard some of the crowd noise in, in a way you expected. Um, I don't think they're done any favors by like the way that stadium is configured as far as noise goes, because it's very open. There's not really much of a seating bowl, M- much of the audience, the audience, the crowd there is sitting on like um, berms essentially. Now there's their stair stepped, So you can actually physically sit and not be sitting on the ground. But um, so the sound just kind of doesn't get trapped in there the way it does in a lot of other places. So if you flipped on and were kind of like underwhelmed by that, don't be fooled. Like those people were loud and they were into it. I can guarantee you. Um, But I say all that to say, like, I do think they're to his point that it's a place that expects winning. just ask their football coaches, Um, you know, uh, and, and likes a winner and will support a winner. And Virginia Tech is certainly on that path. I think they, you know, whether next it would be hard, next year's team would be hard pressed to be better. Right. But if next year's team is good again, and we expect it to be, um, I think they just kind of build on what they started last year in terms of kind of building a baseball culture, because these things take time. Unfortunately, as much as Teddy, I would love it to be baseball is not a sport that just kind of comes with this type of fan support and excitement built in. Sometimes you do have to kind of condition your fans uh, to be ready to be engaged during baseball season. I think Virginia Tech's on that path. And, you know, he, he made a good point that, you know, their fans just want to support a winner and, you know, they're hungry for it. And last year was a great year for Virginia Tech athletics and baseball was a part of that. And they happily jumped on board. And I, I think that, you know, that's that's the kind of season you need to, to you know, really get something rolling. And the challenge now is sustaining it. And this is a program that has only been to the NCAA, NCAA tournament in back-to-back years twice in its history which in itself is kind of remarkable. And it hasn't been done in Blacksburg since the turn of the century. So there's a, I, now some of that is just they flat out didn't make the tournament for like a decade here. They, they hadn't made it since 2013, but finding a way to sustain success. And, and you know, we talked about that in the interview and, and Chef has been somebody that has kind of figured out how to do that a little bit throughout his career. Doing that now for Virginia Tech is would be would be critical for for the program and if you look at our never too early top 25 you'll see virginia tech checking in at like 11. um and it's a team that that i think you can feel pretty good about for next year we didn't dive too deeply into 2023 with uh with coach but i mean carson Martini has gone off in the cape cod league especially at the end of the season i don't have his full season stats but i know like the playoffs have been very good to to carson Martini. Uh, in the Cape Cod League, and you know he was already a freshman All-American. I don't know that like it's unfair to be like, well, if he takes another step forward, like look at how good he could be. Like, yeah, but like if he just does what he did again, like that's a a really impressive season. And so, yes, even though they're losing guys like Showable and Bittison 
and cross, you know, you do have impressive players coming back as well. And I, you know, I, I don't know that this is going to be like a historically great offense. Again, they hit 126 home runs as a team. They're losing a fair number of that with, you know, Schobel hit 19, Bittison hit 14, cross hit 17. Um, I'm missing Kate Hunter who hit 17. Like there are, there's a lot of production exiting, but there are, still are some really talented pieces for Virginia Tech to build an offense around. And like he mentioned on the mound, they're more experienced now. One of the reasons we like them so much is that they can bring back Griffin Green and Drew Hackenberg at the front of the rotation and with some additional players coming in around them to you know help surge that forward. They just have more experience on the mound going into this year. I, I think that's there's a lot to like just about their ability to run back so much on the mound. Yeah. And I think on the mound that they have the advantage next year of, you know, getting drew Hackenberg as a sophomore, as opposed to a freshman, he was, he was so, so good for so much of the year last year as a freshman. And it just felt like he really ran out of gas late and barring there have been some sort of injury he was nursing. And, and I don't know that I'm just saying like that, maybe that was it, but I, at a bare minimum, it just seemed like he wore down a little bit. And there's a whole class of pitchers where that, that happens to freshmen every year. You got, you know, Hagen Smith is probably an example for Arkansas. Brady Tiger, frankly, for Arkansas. Um, guys that just wear down as the season goes on, but he comes back stronger, a little bit better. You know, if Griffin Green takes a step forward and their pitching staff last year was kind of, you, you look, especially when you look at the relievers on the, the stat line, I mean, their, their pitching staff was all about kind of just throwing numbers at you. And I think they'll still be able to do that. You know, Jonah Herney and Henry Weicker and Christian Worley, who came on strong late in the year. They really liked the way he emerged. So I do think they'll still be able to do that um, because I also trust that they're going to add some guys who can can add to that. They did a very good job in the transfer portal on the mound um, last year, and I think they will continue to, to, to do so. Um, offensively, you know, you're right in that I don't think this offense will be better, but it's a group that I... Because like how, I mean, maybe if they are, that would be great because it means they'll be, you know, an excellent offense again, but it, that's just going to be if, very, if they're better. You're talking about maybe the best offense in the sport. Correct. So <laughs> correct. Yes. But you know, you're, you're talking about a guy in Jack Hurley who was on the collegiate national team, made the final roster. Like, you know, it's not crazy to think like, I mean, getting drafted where Gavin Cross did might be off the table, but uh, again, a high bar to clear, but could he be a, you know, first couple round pick? Like, Absolutely. You know, as a guy who's a really dynamic offensive talent, a little bit unorthodox, you know, like a lot of a lot of movement in his his setup and his swing, but gets it done. Good dynamic defender. He's really a center fielder that's been kind of relegated to left field because he plays in an athletic outfield, uh, you know, historically involving Gavin Cross. Right. So, um, you know, good athlete there, good offensive player. And then Carson Martini, you're right to highlight him. I mean, finished last season on a 10 game hitting streak for Virginia Tech had a three hit game against Oklahoma in the, in the super regional um, and just kind of looks the part for lack of a better way of putting it. I'm not a scout. I'm not a particularly astute evaluator. I don't think, but you just kind of look at him and you see that the athleticism and he's just like a real loose athlete and um, really built well for a freshman last year. And um, it's just like, kind of just like the, the, the skill is just kind of like exploding out of him. You know, you can just like see it. Um, like, I think he, could be poised for a, you know, first team all American kind of year next season. Cause it just felt like he was on the cusp of something late last year. And maybe that's what we're going to see 
moving forward, certainly. Also a great head of hair. So that certainly um, counts for something. But so I think it's, you know, it's, you combine that with, you know, a couple, they've got a couple of centerpieces there. They've got some depth pieces back, you know, Eduardo Malinowski. And I think a guy to watch too there is Carson Jones. He's a little bit like, he reminds me a little bit of last year with Tennessee having Blake Burke and having Christian Moore, where it was like, well, these guys should be playing every day. They just don't have spots for them. Carson Jones was a little bit like that for Virginia Tech last year. He had eight home runs and 55 at bats. Um, so he's a guy who I think probably projects to slot into a regular role and could immediately be a star. So you combine that with the fact that, hey, this is a coaching staff that clearly knows how to coach offense. And oh, by the way, they play in a pretty offensive environment in Blacksburg. Now, the offense is going to be good next year. And so if they're telling us that they like the pit, where the pitching is at, maybe relative to, to last year, um, th- this obviously, at least given that, is a, just going to be a very dangerous Virginia Tech team once again. One other thing is that they fielded 980 as a team this year. That was good for 15th in the country. And I feel like that went under the radar because the offense was so good and they had a good one-two punch. Like we didn't, I don't ever remember mentioning how good they were defensively. Uh, But that was obviously a big asset for them. They are going to have to turn over some key pieces there, starting with with Schobel at shortstop um, and Hunter behind the plate, and I guess Cross in center field. Um, So finding a way to to do that and maintain being that good defensively, I think would be significant. It would certainly help the pitching staff as well. But uh, that was kind of an underrated aspect of this team, I feel like, and uh, if they can find a way to to continue that good defensive play, uh, that that would really help them moving forward as well. Um, we discussed it slightly with with Coach Chef John, uh, John Joe, uh, the hammer of it all. Like we have not really gotten into it here on the podcast. I don't think that the NCAA what they did to teams with the with the props and all the rest of it um that is still a little bit up in the air for next year but you know you said it um i think both of us would would love to see the ncaa take a little more enlightened stance than they seem to be right now about the use of props i understand on field you know they don't do that in football um but you know they're also not where Virginia tech and where Tennessee and where a lot of these teams are using their props. They're not like really on the field either. Like they're right out front in front of their dugout. So I don't know. I don't know what the right answer is. Uh, I just know that a lot of people enjoyed it and um, taking it, eliminating it from the game completely would uh, be a little bit unfortunate uh, and would certainly, it just doesn't seem like is the kind of thing that, that really needs to be addressed right now. But generally i think the ncaa and their umpires police what happens after home runs and and the celebrations thereof too much already let alone what happens with and without props yeah i mean every year some some poor batter gets pushed up the first baseline um yeah i mean i i think you said it right like why i just why is this a priority um frankly but um i just i i think i tweeted this actually i know i tweeted this like after kind of that initial uh, piece of news leaked out, they were looking at that, that I really hope there's a, and maybe I'm missing something, but I really hope there's a reason for this having come into the conversation beyond just a bunch of, a bunch of people got their feelings hurt because Tennessee wears a fur coat and Virginia tech slams a hammer into the ground after home runs. And 
you know, I, I think there seems to be to, to think about it charitably. I think there seems to be this fear of some slippery slope that we're on. And while I understand generally trying to avoid slippery slopes, if you can, I'm just not sure, like, I, I'm just not sure we're in like grave danger of, you know, Virginia tech or Tennessee or whoever, like running out, like right in front of the mound and slamming a hammer or doing a <laughs> dance, like in front of the pitcher. Like, I just don't think we're going to get there. And I tell you what, like, let's make a deal. If we can keep on field celebrations or just not, not having to restrain them to the dugout, if we're allowed to keep like, let's call them on deck circle celebrations. That's actually a more accurate way to put it. If we get to a point where, you know what, the players start running out and slamming hammers in front of the mound, in front of the pitcher, like then we can revisit it. But until then, let's maybe just like let these kids have a little bit of fun. That's kind of the way I see it. Yeah. If they can just tell them to confine it to the warning track, you know, like I, it, it, I like there just seems to be a lot of fear about something that I just don't think is going to be a problem. Like also it, just pitch better. <laughs> right. Well, there's that. I mean, that's that's a, that's a great point. Always, always a true fact. You don't want to get celebrated on. There's there's an alternative, you know, uh, but yeah, I, so we'll we'll see what all comes of that. I, I just hope that Virginia Tech is able to to uh, to keep having fun if they do have to take the hammer away, uh, that they can find a new way because it was fun to watch. I understand that taunting is a real thing and all the rest of it. I just don't think that a lot of what's happening right now falls into that. Um, we'll see. Uh that's going to do it for us today on the Baseball America College podcast. If you enjoyed our conversation with John Chef today, we'll have plenty more of those uh, as we continue throughout the offseason. We come at you weekly here on the Baseball America College podcast, so make sure you are subscribed uh, on your favorite podcasting app, be that Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. You can uh, hit that follow button, like button, whatever the nomenclature is. And we'll pop into your phone once a week with another edition of the Clubhouse Conversation Series throughout the offseason. You can follow Joe and me on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA. And BaseballAmerica.com is where you want to go for all of the content of the written variety, uh, of which there is plenty. And we will keep going throughout the offseason with that as well. So thank you all for listening. For Joe, I'm Teddy. We'll talk to you next time. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.